This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. A new report finds that Canadian renters need to earn at least $20 an hour in order to afford the average one-bedroom apartment. That's all across the, uh, the, the country. In Toronto, it's even worse. Workers need to earn about $34 an hour to afford an average two-bedroom apartment, uh, which is what you need if you've got a family. And it means that housing is out of reach for those earning minimum wage or a few bucks more than minimum wage in all but a very few neighbourhoods around the country. Uh, This was done by the Canadian Centre for Policy Analysis. And right now, let's go to David McDonald, who is the senior economist. Hi, David. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So, uh, first of all, what motivated you to do this study? Well, you you hear a lot about affordability in housing, and what people often mean by that is not affordability for renters, but affordability in buying houses. Um, But a third of Canadian families actually rent. They don't own. Uh, And so it certainly includes, you know, seniors, folks, uh, lower income, uh, millennials, uh, students, you know, all sorts of folks rent. Um, And that issue doesn't get nearly the same kind of press as the fact that uh, real estate prices are going through the roof. And so I wanted to bring more focus to it and see what's happening on that front, see how affordable or unaffordable different cities and different neighborhoods are. Okay. And uh, what did you find? So obviously Toronto and Vancouver are the worst. Certainly the worst, uh, you know, $35 an hour is what you'd have to make to uh, for the average two-bedroom there. If you're a minimum wage worker, uh, then it's, uh, you know, you'd have to work 100 hours a week at minimum wage to be able to afford just the average two-bedroom in Vancouver or Toronto. So I, I guess the that, that rents are high in big cities isn't that surprising. What I actually found most surprising in this study was that even in those big cities, if you go down to the neighborhood level, so you look at Toronto, we've got 117 different neighborhoods for which we've got data. In zero of those neighborhoods could you afford a one-bedroom, much less a two-bedroom apartment, if you were working at minimum wage. And this isn't unique to Toronto. You, you find the exact same thing in Vancouver, the exact same thing in Ottawa. In fact, of 31 of the 36 cities for which we have data, there are zero neighborhoods where you can afford a two-bedroom apartment if you are working at minimum wage. And that, to me, is the more striking fact. It's not that average rents are high, but that no place in these big cities can you find affordable rent anymore. doesn't matter where you look. Uh, Wouldn't most people who need a two-bedroom apartment uh, have a family? Wouldn't they be two people working? It's certainly possible, but you think of families like, uh, you know, you've got an adult taking care of an elder parent, for instance, or you've got a single parent who's got children and needs the two bedrooms and so on. Um, But the situation isn't really that much better for one-bedroom apartments. So, yes, there's more cities where... where you can find at least one neighborhood um, where you can, uh, you know, where you can afford that one-bedroom apartment on minimum wage, um, but uh, you know, it's it's still two-thirds of the cities you cannot afford even a one-bedroom apartment in any neighborhood. No, it doesn't matter where you look, uh, and it really comes back to the fact that um, 
if you are a full-time worker, you're out there, you're working, maybe you're making minimum wage, but you're working hard. Um, in most big cities, there just isn't a decent and modest place for you to live. We're not talking uh, that you, you know, that you need a four-bedroom house or something like that, but you know, a decent one or two-bedroom place for you to live where you've got a bit of space, um, despite the fact, uh, you know, that that you're making minimum wage, you're working full time. In most cities, you just cannot afford that. And so, what ends up happening is that people end up with roommates. They spend much more than, uh, you know, the thirty percent uh, threshold of their income on rent. Um, or they, they just get priced out, and so they move further and further out uh, into the suburbs, out, out of the downtown core. Okay, so, and, and for a one-bedroom, it's 20 bucks an hour that you need to earn on average, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, and in some of the big cities, again, it's cheaper. So Toronto and Vancouver, instead of 30, $35 an hour, $34, $35 an hour for a two-bedroom, uh, it'd be $27 an hour uh, that you'd have to make to afford the average one-bedroom. Um, in, in Toronto or Vancouver. And so, yes, it is slightly cheaper, but when we do the same kind of analysis, we're looking across the country to see, you know, how many cities could you afford uh, a one-bedroom in any neighbourhood working at minimum wage. Uh, it, it's still about two-thirds uh, are unaffordable, and about one-third has at least one neighbourhood. And, and so what are cert- some of those cities where you could actually afford it? Um, places like Saguenay, Trois-Rivières, Sherbrooke, Sudbury, uh, Gatineau, uh, Windsor. So these are going to be smaller cities. Um, unfortunately, the trade-off is that often incomes are lower in smaller cities and there's fewer job opportunities. And so, yeah, rent is cheaper, but it may be more difficult to find a job. Um, and so those places are slightly cheaper. One of the interesting places um, that that is cheaper, uh, still not quite affordable for for two bedrooms and one bedrooms, but closer is Montreal, um, where you can still afford to live in a one or two bedroom apartment. Uh, the rental wage there is, is below the national average. And there are neighborhoods on the island of Montreal, close to transit, um, where you can afford a, a one bedroom or two bedroom apartment for under $15 an hour, the rental wage, um, which is which is fairly affordable. Certainly for big cities, it's very unusual. Um, and so it's not just because you live in a big city, there's no neighborhoods. There are certainly cities in Canada where you do find neighborhoods that are, that are less expensive, uh, like in Quebec. Well, it, it's interesting. In Montreal, I actually uh, grew up in Montreal. Uh, there's renting. More people rent. There's a tradition of renting. Yes, that's right. Um, and I don't think the, the same kind of um, fever for condos has caught on in Montreal the same way it has in Toronto or Vancouver. I mean, a lot of this has to do with public policy. It doesn't have to do with supply and demand in the market and that sort of thing. It has to do with how much are we willing to, to invest in building new affordable rental as well as building apartment buildings in general. So in the 1980s and 1990s, we were building about 20,000 new affordable units a year across the country. And that made up actually about half of all new rental units were actually affordable units being built directly out of the public purse uh, from CMHC, the, the national housing provider, as well as uh, some help from the provinces. In the early 1990s, those programs were utterly gutted and collapsed. And so did the construction of traditional apartment buildings because there was just no money in it. Uh, as a yeah, result, landlords you- landlords can't make a living, and there are all kinds of other issues. Uh, if if they get a, a quote bad tenant who doesn't pay, it's very difficult to get them out. 
Yeah, and so what builders did in the, in the mid-1990s is they switched decisively to condo construction as opposed to traditional apartment building construction. And that really hasn't stopped. So you see this huge boom in condo construction. Um, and condos are being built for the investors that buy them. They're not being built for the people that want to live and work in the cities and maybe middle or lower income. And so what you end up with is cramped bachelor apartments for investors that regular people who work there probably don't want to live in. But if that's your only choice, maybe you'll go to a bachelor apartment. Um, and as a result, starting in the early 2000s, you see an increase in what people need to pay to afford rental, uh, rental accommodations, uh, being driven largely by the condo market and the high end of the condo market. It's being rented out at much higher prices. Um, and just no real renewal of affordable housing construction until the last two years, where we do see a big upswing driven by federal government spending on affordable housing up to about 15,000 new affordable units a year. We're not at the level we were at even in the 1980s, 30 years ago at 20,000 units a year. We're at 15,000 a year, and it's likely to continue at about that level for the rest of this, you know, for about a decade till 2027. So there has been some action federally. Uh, it is having an impact, but we're still not even at the level we were at in the 1980s. Uh, and so there's lots of more room to build more affordable housing um, and also to maybe incentivize the construction of, of of uh, just traditional, the construction of traditional rental apartment buildings as opposed to condo construction that's likely to, to lead to lower rents due to higher supply. Mm-hmm. So uh, are you saying that, uh, in your view, it's just the responsibility of the government to step up and build more affordable housing? It's largely government spending that, has what's, that is what's driving affordable rental construction, whether it's on the pure affordable housing where you've got sort of rent geared to income or just on rental construction itself. So in the heyday of rental construction, 1970s, late 1970s, early 1980s, we were building 100,000 new apartments a year. 100,000 new apartments a year. Uh, today, we're, you know, we're at a quarter of that. Uh, and that was largely due to, to federal tax incentives, interestingly. Um, and so the, the, you know, this is not a market in any classic sense. It's just being heavily driven by what provincial and federal governments decide to do in terms of incentivizing rental construction or in terms of building affordable housing. Because really, for builders, it doesn't make sense to build for middle-class renters or certainly not low-income renters because they, they can't make money on it. Uh, it's only when the government steps in and incentivizes that type of thing that, uh, that they will build that. Otherwise, they'll build condos for investors either in Canada or abroad. Uh, now, a couple of days ago here in Toronto, uh, the mayor announced that there's going to be a separate housing agency for seniors designated housing. Um, does, does this kind of a squeeze affect that as well? And do you think that should be treated separately? Well, interestingly, seniors are make up a third of all of the families in Canada that spend more than 30% of their income on rent. So, uh, not uncommon to have particularly single seniors, often single senior women uh, on fixed income, spending a lot of their income on rent. Um, and so one of, the, one of the other programs that the federal government is presently negotiating with the provinces is what they're calling the Canada Housing Benefit, which is it's just a, a cash transfer to families that, that spend too much of their income on rent. Um, and it's at this point, it, the, the budget cap is far too tight on it, and so it's, it's quite miserly, and, and, and so it won't cover most families that spend too much on rent. Um, it will likely be restricted, heavily restricted to particular groups. Um, and so what it, can act, what it can do is it can act as a stopgap from now to the time where 
these affordable rental units get up and running and are built. You know, it takes time to build apartment buildings, obviously. Um, however, depending on what the, how the criteria are set, uh, it, it may or may not help seniors. So in some provinces that have similar programs at the provincial level, um, sometimes it is devoted to seniors. So it's only seniors that can get this type of sort of rental support. In other provinces, it's only families with children or it's only people with particularly low incomes, in which case seniors are excluded from those groups. And so if you happen to live in a province that happens to pick the criteria to ration this Canada housing benefit as seniors only, uh, then it can be, then it might be a substantial help. So it would be, you know, on average $2,500 a year uh, f- for families. And so that, can make a, that can make a big difference for low-income families that are renting in, in high-rent areas. Okay. That is all the time we have. Thank you so much. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.